Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to worship you again. And we pray now as we open thy word that uh, you will give us understanding and the, the zeal to follow through. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's what I like. <laughs> so it was a very proud moment in my life. I had signed on the dotted line, and I made a commitment that I was going to join the United States Navy. And uh, at the time, uh, there was, I was only the second person in my family who had joined the military. And so my, 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 my mom, she didn't want me to go. You know how moms are, right? Very protective and, you know, going to the, to the military, the Navy, in her mind, war, and, you know, I'm going to get hurt. And so she really didn't want me to go, but my dad, he was all for it. You can imagine, he was all for it. And in fact, um, I, I've mentioned that, um, you know, I, I never heard my, my father say to me that I'm proud of you. It was only until I joined the Navy, I remember uh, calling home from basic training and him telling me, uh, 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 I'm proud of you, son. You know, this is the first time that I heard that. And it was in connection for the fact that I was, you know, in the Navy. It was a big deal for him. And, you know, when we take the Pledge of Allegiance, you know the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And we're proud of saying those words. Many are proud. I am proud of when I say those words. But today, we live in a time when not everybody is proud of saying these words. I recently read an article by a teacher, a teacher, the teacher is trying to explain to her children why she no longer leads the kids in her class to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. You remember, I don't know if it's still the same today, but when I was little, the first thing that we did every day in the class is we stand up and we recite the Pledge of Allegiance. So she's explaining to her children why she no longer leads the kids in her class to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. She said, the words... Liberty and justice for all is the reason I stopped saying the pledge because of the words. And, and, and so over the last number of years, more and more Americans feel that these words, liberty and justice for all, does not apply to them. And that for this reason, we should do away with the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of controversy over this. You probably, I mean, this is what we are seeing and hearing a lot about, and, and you know, not only the Pledge of Allegiance, but the national anthem, the flag. Uh, you, if you're paying attention this week, there was a lot of controversy over this athlete, Gwen Berry. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know, she had Olympic tryouts, and um, I think she scored third place, if I remember correctly, but, um, you know, when, they, when they're honoring the athletes, they, you know, they, they have the national anthem, that kind of thing, and, and she sort of uh, was, uh, if you look at the picture, she sort of was sideways, but, you know, she's caught a lot of flack for that. But, but this is what we're seeing today. This is what we're experiencing today. Many people don't feel that these things apply to them, specifically because of the issue of liberty and justice for all. 
But that's not the only reason why many people, many Americans, feel that we should sort of do away with the, national, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance says, one nation under God. One nation under God. And, you know, we live in a time when not everybody is comfortable with those words. Uh, the Pledge of Allegiance was composed by Francis Bellamy, who was an author and uh, it was a Baptist minister. Yet it wasn't until 1954, uh, under the, uh, when the Cold War intensified, that the uh, words under God were added to the Pledge of Allegiance in order to, um, you know, sort of distinguish the United States from the other, as they say, godless communism. That's why the, the reason uh, for the under God in it. So clearly, Bellamy uh, uh, was a, a Christian, was a Christian. But more and more Americans today are not. They're not. In fact... Uh, nearly 23% of the population today does not affiliate with any religion at all. There's a statement uh, from an article from a, a magazine called Reveille. Uh, Lynn Burnch is uh, the, uh, the author. And she said that it's time to get rid of the pledge. Loving our country is not about memorizing and spitting our words that were written over 100 years ago. We are a different country now. And we are progressive enough to know that a person can love America without being taught to do so, no matter what. Again, this is the, the ideas, the thinking of many people today. And, and, you know, maybe she has a point. But this is Independence Day weekend, right? Fourth of July weekend. And many people are proud and many people are going to, you know, take part of parades and, and, and they're going to be waving their flags. You, you, if you go around neighborhoods, you see houses, you know, decorated with the American flag and so on. Uh, you know, you'll, maybe some of you will go to see the fireworks. You know, that's something that, you know, my family and I, we, we've tried to do, you know, every year, not, not go downtown. I can't stand going downtown with 300,000 of your closest friends. Uh, it's not something that I can do. But, you know, go to a, a, a park where there's not a lot of people and we enjoy the fireworks. And it's, it's a proud. I'm proud to take part of that. When, when they play the national anthem, I'm proud of that. But many are critical of such things these days. Now, as a former Navy sailor, I, I am proud to have served my country. I am proud to be an American. And maybe you feel the same way. Perhaps some of you don't. But I wonder, I want to ask today, really, to whom should we be pledging our allegiance to? To whom? And how do we show it? How do we show our allegiance? Is it just by reciting uh, just a few words? Or there, is there more to that? So the first thing we need to do is to define what it means to, you know, allegiance. What does that mean? If you look it up, uh, allegiance is defined as loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior, the fidelity owed by a subject or citizen to a sovereign. So we realize that there is somebody or something above us, and so we owe allegiance to that. So therefore, if, if that's how allegiance defined, loyalty, commitment of a subordinate to a superior, then it's safe to conclude that when we are unfaithful, disloyal, or uncommitted, we are not showing allegiance. Let me say that again. 
When we are unfaithful, disloyal, or uncommitted, we are not showing allegiance, whether it is to our country, to our family, or to God. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting in verse 12, our scripture reading. Scripture reading, we're verses 12 and 13. Now, the end of the 40 years of the journey of the Israelites had come to an end. And as you know, of course, the Israelites were a constant headache to, to God and to Moses. And you remember that when, uh, uh, not long after the children of Israel leave Egypt, they made a commitment to God. They, uh, it could be argued that they, made a, 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 they pledged allegiance to God, that they were going to do everything God said they, that they, they would do. And of course, uh, Moses went to Mount Sinai for, to receive the Ten Commandments. And you know, when he came down, what were they doing? They worshiping the calf. They, they switched their allegiance just like that. And Moses, with uh, this holy zeal, of course, he throws the tablets and destroys them. God gives them, you know, basically, go get, make some new ones, and I write the Ten Commandments again. But throughout the 40 years, they come to an end here in the book of Deuteronomy, and the Israelites were about to cross over to the promised land. And what Moses does in the first number of chapters of Deuteronomy is he does a history review. Remind them of everything their forefathers had done and what they've been through that had gotten them to that point. And then he makes a statement highlighting what Israel is to do in order to pledge allegiance to the God that is about to keep his promise and take them into the promised land. So verse 12. This is from the New King James Version. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Sounds like a question, but it is a statement because he's about to tell them. What does the Lord require of you? The God that is about to take you into the promised land, the God that has put up with you for 40 years, now what does he require of you? Have you ever asked that question about yourself? What does the Lord require of me? You see, it's not, it shouldn't just be about, or shouldn't be about, what does the church require of me? It certainly shouldn't be about what the pastor requires of me. It is what does God require of me? That's what is important. What does God require of me? Now, this word require, um, uh, it's maybe a little bit of a strong word, but it actually comes from the Hebrew shawl, which means to ask. God has the right to ask anything. Well, he, he has a right to require anything of us because he's God, but he's too much of a gentleman, so he asks us. It may read like this is uh, in some of the versions that you have. God is asking. He is asking for your allegiance. He was asking for the allegiance of the children of Israel, and today he's asking for our allegiance. But how do we show our allegiance to God? What does that look like? So Moses continues in verse 12. But the fear of the Lord your God. What does the Lord require of you? but to fear the Lord your God. Now, let me ask, do you think that there is room in your relationship with God to be afraid of him? Is there room to be afraid of God? No, I only see one hand, okay. Yeah, over two hands. Room to be afraid of God. I think most people would be uncomfortable to say that you're afraid of God. 
And, and I can understand that, of course. But the word that is used here for fear it, it is, it is often used uh, as in describing someone who is afraid. For example, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, here we, God appears to Moses there in a burning bush, God speaking to Moses, and he says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So Moses was afraid, and it's the same word that, that is used in the chapter 10 for fear is the same word that is used in chapter 3 for being afraid. So obviously, there's different contexts to this. There's different contexts to this. But I would submit to you, and by the way, if this happened to us, if God appeared to you, wouldn't you be afraid? I mean, God could crush you like a bug. I would hide myself too. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I would submit to you that I don't think God wants us to be, wants, doesn't want fear, as in being afraid, to be the motivator for us to have a relationship with him. Right? He doesn't want that. So, so in this context, and we'll see that in a, in a minute why that is, but in this context, fear is that reverence, that respect that we should have for God because of who he is. We should respect and reverence our God because only he is God. He, he is creator. He is provider. He is sustainer. He is redeemer. He is all. There's no one like our God. And so we should respect him. We should revere him. You know, when we were growing up, we were told to respect our parents, right? And, and part of, and part of uh, 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 what the respecting our parents looked like is that we did what he, they told us to do, right? We can talk back to them, you know, that kind of thing. Reverence and respect. So, so what does the Lord require of you? Well, how do we show our allegiance to God? Well, we need to fear him. We need to reverence God. We need to respect them. And Moses goes on to talk about how that's, what that looks like. Uh, continue in verse 12. To walk in all his ways. What does the Lord require of you? How do we show our allegiance? But that to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways. Moses is saying here, if you're going to take a pledge of allegiance to God, you need to imitate God. Now, how do we get to the point where we imitate God? What do we need to do or what, what, what needs to be in place for us to imitate God? We need to get to know him, right? You know, if you don't know God, you're not going to imitate him. You're not going to know the things that he does, right? So you need to get to know this God so that you would imitate him. Now, to walk, obviously, that this walking, is, it's, um, it's the implication of a lifestyle. Our lifestyle should be like God's. We do the things that God does, right? To walk like he does, to live like he does. And notice, it doesn't say to imitate him in some things. Like you pick and choose once in a while, you know, I like this about God, so I'll do that, but I don't like that, so I won't do that. No, no, no. Moses says to walk in what? In all his ways. In all his ways. If God goes to the right, you go to the right. And you, we know that, that um, God often does things that, that we don't necessarily agree with. We, we, we wonder what God, what, I think you're wrong about this, Lord, like, yeah. 
Like, uh, like we know better than him. But, but we also, we, we do that. And we see God's going to the right. Lord, I don't, I don't know, that road looks kind of bumpy. That looks kind of curvy. The left one's a, a straight shot. But if God goes to the right, where do we do? We go to the right because we're going to walk in all his ways. Now, the Bible tells us that God is love. And everything that God does parts from that premise that he is love. If we are to imitate God, what should we do? We, everything that we, should, we do should be based on love. Not on what I have to, but because I love, because I want to imitate God. God is love, and so should we be. We, we should be love too. Everything. And this, and, and this actually is a good segue to the next thing, to the third thing we have to do to show our allegiance to God in verse 12, and to love him. What does the Lord require of you? How do we show our allegiance to God? Well, we ought to fear the Lord your God, that reverence, that respect. We ought to walk in all his ways. Our lifestyle should be an imitation of who God is and what he does, and we ought to love him. Now, love is, in the English language, love is a a very subjective word because we love all kinds of things, right? In in the English language, you know, know, I've already told you, I love dove chocolate. Hint, hint. And I say I love, right? But I don't love dove chocolate like, say, I love my wife. And certainly, I should not love dove chocolate like I love God, Right? Moses had already addressed this issue about uh, uh, love in the Shema in in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so when he's saying to love God there in Deuteronomy 10, this is the kind of love that he's talking about. This is love without limits. Notice, again, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your stress. This is uncompromising love. This is the kind of love that manifests itself in our priorities, in our choices, in our decisions. Yeah. In the, Old, in the New Testament, this is agape love, right? Love without buts. Love without the as long as. That's not the kind of love, right? Love without limits. Now, you may be wondering, how can God asks of us um, to do two things that seem to be opposite to each other? In one, to, in, in one place, he says to fear God, and on the other side, he says to love God. This is where this whole concept of, you know, is there a place to be afraid of God? I suppose that God you know, works with us wherever we are. And, and so if, if, if it takes making you afraid to have a love relationship with him, then maybe he'll do that, but he doesn't want you to continue to be afraid of, of him, right? So, so uh, um, this is where this fear thing comes in because um, someone once said that, fe- that we ought to fear with love. Fear with love. Love without fear relaxes. Fear without love enslaves and leads to despair. So, so obviously, you know, the fear as in being afraid and loving cannot coexist. So this is why we understand that, that this fear that, that Moses is talking about in this context is that reverence and that respect. Because that fear will coexist with love. Right? We love our parents. We respect our parents. We love our God. We respect our God. And C.S. Lewis once said that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. 
So how is your spiritual health? Huh? You think about that. So, so what does the Lord require of you? Of you fear the Lord, walk in his ways, to love him. The fourth thing is to serve him. And this is still verse 12. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. To serve God. Now, if you serve God, the implication is that you work for him. You work for God. I always wanted to work for God. But if you work for God, that means he's the boss. And if he's a boss, things go like he says they go, right? What he says goes. And you ought to do it without complaining or because you think you have to, right? God is the boss. You serve him. Huh? Now, ser- you know, serving God, you think about serving God, Moses says here, that he uses the same similar words as Deuteronomy 6.5. Serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. Remember, the kind of love he's talking about is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We ought to serve him in the same way. Serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. That means serve the Lord without limits. Serve the Lord without buts, without as long as. Now, God says serve anyway. We have to serve God, but God doesn't really need anything from us. Okay? He is God. So what does serving God look like? What does that look like? Well, I think Jesus said it best. He described what that looks like in Matthew 25, 40. He said, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Love prompts service. See, service is a natural byproduct of our love for God. If we love God, we are going to serve God. But Jesus says that we serve him when we do what? When we serve others. When we serve others, right? When, wherever love fills the heart, the, 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 it seeks expression in acts of service to others. Because when we do it to others, we do it to God. So, think about this. If you are not serving others, then there is no love. And if there is no love, you are not serving God, therefore you're not, being, you're not showing your allegiance to him. Some of you didn't get that. Again, love prompts service. It's a natural byproduct. We serve God by serving others. If we're not serving others, that means that there is no love. And if there is no love, you're not serving God. And if you're not serving God, you're not showing your allegiance to him. In the devotional Reflecting Christ, Ellen White said that to God we can give nothing which is not already his. But we can help the suffering ones around us. We can supply them with the necessities of life and at the same time speak to them of the wonderful love of God. Christ has identified his, in, uh, his uh, interest with those of his people. He has plainly stated that we can minister to him by ministering to his suffering ones. Serving God, we serve God by serving others. It was uh, Ignatius of Loyola. Now, he was um, a, a Catholic priest and a theologian of yesteryear, but he said something very deep. 
Teach us, good Lord, to serve thee as thou deservest, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward save that of knowing that we do thy will. That's the kind of service that God wants. We serve God by serving others. So what does the Lord require of you? How do you show your allegiance to God? Well, you are to fear him, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve uh, uh, God by serving others. And the fifth thing is, verse 13, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today. Love for God is manifested in our desire to want to obey him. Right? Jesus said it in John 14, 15. If you love me, we do what? We keep his commandments. In verse 21, he says, it is, it is those who keep my commandments, the ones that really love me. Why? Because love is shown in our actions. And the actions that God wants is obedience to him. So he had already said that we ought to love him without limits. So if we do love him without limits, we are going to obey him. It's not going to be something that we we feel we have to or we're going to have to work hard on. It should be a natural byproduct, something that happens. And so we really can't show allegiance to God if we're disobedient to him. It doesn't make sense, right? And this is, of course, Israel did this constantly. In fact, Israel, uh, the Israelites were turncoats. You know what a turncoat is? A turncoat. A turncoat is a person who shifts allegiance from one loyalty to another, you know, in a snapping the finger, right? Betraying or deserting the original, uh, an original cause by switching to the opposite side. Now, from a military perspective, the, usually the, uh, armies, uh, the opposing armies will wear a uniform of contrasting colors so that, that way they would avoid friendly fire. So a turn code indicates that an individual has changed size and his uniform coat to match the color of their once a former enemy. And Israel did that all the time, didn't they? If we read the Old Testament, they were, they were turn coats all the time. They were going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. But I wonder, have you been switching your allegiance? Are you a turn coat? I, I, I hope if you are a turncoat, now, you only did that once, and maybe because you were serving the, the enemy, and now you're serving God. You, you're a turn, but you stayed that way. Don't do like the Israelites. They go back and forth, back and forth. You are a God. You're serving God. You keep that coat on. You keep that uniform on. Psalm 119, 119 verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart, with their whole heart. So if you pledge allegiance to God, you ought to fear him. You ought to reverence and respect him. You ought to walk in all his ways, imitating him, being like God. You ought to love him, love without limits. You ought to serve him by serving others, and that service is also without limits. And you ought to obey him. That's how we show our allegiance to God. But you may wonder, well, why do I owe allegiance to God? What's in it for me? Well, there's reasons why we ought to be, have, uh, show our allegiance to God. There's three reasons that Moses shares here in verse 13. The first one is because it's for our own welfare. It benefits us. Notice, for your good. Now, of course, that's attached to the, the fact of keeping the commandments because we keep the commandments 
because they're for our own welfare. It's for our own good. And so we are pledging allegiance to God because it's for our own good. We fear, we love, we walk, we serve, we obey for our own welfare. What a different world this would be if we didn't have to worry about somebody coming in and breaking into our house and lying to us and cheating to us and taking our stuff. It would be a different world, wouldn't it? If everybody decided they're going to pledge allegiance to God and follow these, these counsels, it would be like paradise, wouldn't it? And, and we know that that paradise is soon to come, amen? But it would be paradise here if we, if we all decided to pledge allegiance to God and follow these counsels. Yeah. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. See, it's for our own benefit. It's for our own welfare. So why should we pledge allegiance to God? Because it's for our own benefit. The second thing is because God is great. Ah, Somebody should have said amen to that. God is great. His greatness, verse 14, indeed heaven and the highest of heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the the earth with all that is in it. There is nobody like our God. God is unique because only he is God. There are many other people, gods that people make, but they're a bunch of fake news. Only Jehovah is the true God. And he is only one God. And he is great. Creator and sustainer. There's a song sang by Chris Tomlin. Some of you know it. How great is our God, right? The first few lyrics go something like this. The splendor of the king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. Come on, you know it. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. There's nobody like him. And so because of his greatness, we we ought to pledge our allegiance to him. And the third thing is because he loves us and has chosen us. Notice verse 15. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples as it is to this day. And so to love and to serve God, the children of Israel are especially bound because think about it, God chose them. I mean, God is the owner of the the universe. He could have chosen anybody he wanted, and he chose the children of Israel. Yeah? Yeah? They were to carry on his message to the world. And you know, in the same way, God has, loves us and has chosen us. You know, God could have, you know, swift, you know, swift, you know to the side, brushed it to the side, and, and he was in his perfect right to do it. But he, he sent Jesus to die in our place, to pay our debt. Jesus said it in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit 
and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So we ought to pledge allegiance to God because it's for our benefit, because of his greatness, and because he loves and, 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 and loves us and has chosen us. And because of this, notice verse 16. Here's the mandate. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Hmm? Because the Israelites were hard-headed, weren't they? They were stiff-necked people. I tell you what, man. I'm glad, Henry, I'm not like that. <laughs> you heard that? Okay. Because we're not hard-headed, right? We're not stiff-necked. No, no, no. You know, this, this foreskin, the circumcised foreskin, the foreskin stands for something that obstructs God's access to the heart. That's what that foreskin stands for. You know, the Israelites were to lay aside all insensibility of heart, to acknowledge his supremacy, to imitate him, and to fear and worship him. Right? Now, he says circumcise a foreskin, right? Circumcision, in the context of Israel, was a symbol of purification, a sign of consecration to him. And so the Israelites are enjoined to realize, in fact, what, the, what this rite symbolized, the purity of heart, the receptivity to the things of God. And so I ask you, though, is there anything that is getting in the way from God's access to your heart? Huh? Because there are things, and, and, and we are as hard-headed as the Israelites, stiff-necked people. And so how, that's how you show your allegiance. You show your allegiance by fear, by, by walking, by love, by serving, by obeying. And, and we do it because God is great, because he, he, he chose us and loves us, and because it ultimately is for our welfare. It's for our benefit. Now, I mentioned earlier about the pride that I felt when I took my oath of allegiance before joining the Navy. You think about our service people, our service men and women. Among the virtues of a service member that a service member possesses, loyalty is a corner for successful service. Military loyalty extends beyond commitment and trust. It necessarily traverses the boundaries of family, friendship, country, and religion by requiring the service member to subordinate themselves to a higher level of allegiance. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, I don't know about that, the issue of, uh, of the loyalty, it traverses the family and the religion. You know, maybe we have a little, some issues with that. But I would submit to you that this is the kind of service member we want protecting our country, wouldn't you? Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, it doesn't matter. You want people that are committed because the freedoms that we have in this country is because of the sacrifices that they make. And if, if the service members are wishy-washy, that's not the kind of thing you want. You want loyalty. God wants loyalty too. And we are wishy-washy most of the time. Hmm? Now, listen, I, don't get me started. Henry, you talked about that last week. We're wishy-washy. Oh, I don't know about this, and I don't know about going to church, and you know. Anyway, you know, <laughs> what I'm about to say, I know some of you will disagree. 
and, and, and that's okay because you know what? We can still disagree on, on things and still be friends, right? That's still true, right? I hope it is still true. <laughs> you, you don't know what I'm going to say. You may disagree with me. I, I do believe, friends, with all my heart, that this is the best country in the world with liberty and justice for all. Okay? Now, that's my opinion. I do, I, I do though, understand and acknowledge that there are reasons why some people in this country don't feel that way. Okay? But now, although I'm a proud American, those of us who are proud Americans and, you know, pledge allegiance, we're proud when we say those things. If you know Bible prophecy, if you're aware, if you're familiar with what the Bible says, you do know that the best country in the world is going to soon start speaking like a dragon. And some may argue that it has already started to speak like a dragon. So, those of us that are proud will soon be disappointed. And, we, and unfortunately, we live in a time that many people are already disappointed. But, you know, we have to remember that although we, we do live in the best country in the world, and, you know, this is a multicultural church, so it's, I'm, 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 I'm free to say this. People come to this country because it's better than the countries where we come from. That's why we're here. Right? So there's, there's something to that, to say this is the best country in the world. But our citizenship is somewhere else. We are citizens of heaven. And that's what we should be focusing on. That's what we should be focusing on. We need to be, uh, show our allegiance to someone who has never nor will ever fail us. That is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ, right? So we pledge allegiance to the Lamb by fearing Him, by walking in His ways, by loving Him with all our hearts, by, by, by serving God, by serving others. And we do this because, again, we are the ones who ultimately are benefited because God is great and because He's loved and has chosen us. And in spite of us, He has chosen us. And friends, God is the, truly the one who offers liberty and justice for all. We pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Is that your wish today? To pledge allegiance to the Lamb, the one who doesn't fail us, the one who's always faithful. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.